Okay, folks, thanks for sticking with us here. You got the extra. That's right. And we are uh, doing our hometown hero on the second segment. After these commercials, we'll be talking with Ed Bachman, serving in Vietnam, Purple Heart recipient. Um, so a lot of patriotism going on this Friday with the sun shining and um, right at the base of America's Mountain, Pikes Peak. It's a beautiful thing um, to live in this town. And we are surrounded by so many heroes who've served our country who serve our city, county, and continue to serve. A day in history, uh, believe it or not, um, February 23rd is when uh, the flag was raised on Iwo Jima. You've seen that famous, famous picture of the the heroes raising that flag, um, and they've done some updating. The Marine Corps has uh, updated its official records um, related to when this was done. The first... Because there was many pictures taken. The first U.S. flag over Iwo Jima, February 23rd, 1945. Um, this was after a review of photograph evidence. Um, they came out with this in July of 2016. Um, General Robert Neller, um, he's the commander of the Marine Corps, um, asked pan- panel members to review the photos so they could get the exact date. Right, And so um, they were able to identify the service members in the first flag-raising event as uh, First Lieutenant Harold G. Schreier and um, Sergeant Ernest Thomas, um, also Sergeant Henry Hansen, Corporal Charles Lindbergh, and pharmacist um, Second Class John Bradley, as well as Private Philip Ward. Uh, Many of these photos were taken over the days to get the right angle, um, and it is such a historic photo of our nation and describes the fight, really, in a, in a picture, right? So many words can be put into a picture, and these heroes who hoisted the flag, um, you know, go down in history. And uh, now that they have the official day, it's an exciting topic to bring to you because I would guess that there's no one listening who doesn't know about the picture of Iwo Jima and that flag being hoisted and the statues and the, you just, you can't not know about it. And it's a great description of the resilience um, of World War II and these gentlemen who fought on the islands, right? In trenches and having to fight the enemy that was dug into holes. I mean, you talk about how difficult of a fight that is and the heroism and the, the bravery and how courageous these men were. It goes beyond words, and uh, I was talking with some World War II uh, veterans, and they said, aviators and Navy, and they said, you know, we feel like the toughest job of World War II was uh, those gentlemen who went in and fought on the islands because the enemy was dug into the mountain, and they didn't know where they were coming from, and the the really just the the way they banded together and had to literally dig out the enemy. Um, and you're dealing with an enemy that was suicidal, right? There was no, um, hey, we're going to give up. Um, it was really, you had to fight to the last man. And so uh, remember that, folks, the raising of the flag on Iwo Jima um, back in 1945 on February 23rd. Uh, what a great moment in history 
for the United States of America. Um, I hope you stick around as we talk with Ed Bachman on the next segment, and then we're going to be uh, having joined on the third and fourth segment, um, County Commissioner Lajinos Gonzalez. We're going to be talking about the immigrant issue. What's going on here in Colorado Springs and the county, and how's it going to affect you in your daily life? That's right. You're listening to Justin Hermes here on The Extra. We'll be back after these brief messages. Okay, folks, we are back here on the Extra, and as we get our Friday started the best way possible, it is with the Hometown Hero, where we choose somebody in the community who's made a great impact, whether it means serving our uh, military actively or retired or currently um, serving in law enforcement or retired, and we have the joy of speaking with the gentleman who's done both of those. Uh, Good morning, Ed Bachman. How are you? Good. How are you doing, Justin? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for taking the the time to join us. I know you're retired, so you know getting up early in the morning and talking with me is probably not on your priority list. You're always on my priority list. <laughs> I appreciate. It. I appreciate it. So, Ed, tell us you, you've served um, in the military. Tell us how you got started in that career and uh, where it brought you. Well, this was back in the '60s. And I went into the Army during the Vietnam War. Um, and I did two tours in Vietnam. I volunteered for both. And um, seen quite a bit of the country. And uh, I, most people don't realize it's really a beautiful country. Uh, it would, it's just a shame that uh, we didn't win that war because uh, that place would be, I know it's taken off now as far as tourism, because it is a beautiful place. They have a beautiful coastline. And then when I finished in the service. What branch uh, were you in, Ed? Uh, the Army. Okay, and so um, were you drafted in as no. part of that process? You volunteered. Yeah. Good for you. And and well, two tours, what were the, what were the length of the um, tours over there? It was two years. Okay. Total, total. Total two years. And what was your uh, duty when you were over there? What was your what did the everyday look like? Uh, my MOS was uh, military police, but what we did, we were a convoy security. So uh, when the convoy got hit, we would drop out and take on uh, the enemy, and then whatever other reinforcements we might need. We'd call in for air support or whatever was necessary. <clears throat> wow. And so what was the, what was the weather like over there? I mean, as you, you're there for a whole year, is it, you see the movie, is it hot and humid? Is that a pretty good description? It's very hot and humid. And when it rains, um, your visibility is maybe, 10, 15 yards. It just comes down like unbelievable. Is that just, was, yeah, it was a big element um, of that war is the is the weather and having to fight in the jungle and not being able to see really where your enemy is, correct? Yes, but uh, what we did with the convoy security, we actually weren't in the jungle. We were more uh, around the uh, mountains, but not in the jungle per se like going through the bush and everything. I was in charge of what was called a V-100. And it's an armored vehicle shaped on angles. So supposedly if it gets hit by uh, small rounds, the the rounds will ricochet off. 
And that's what we did with the uh, convoys using that vehicle. And that was, I was there 68, 69, and 70. And, and when you did your training, where did you go for training? How long was that training before you went over to Vietnam? I was, uh, from basic training, I went to uh, um, Georgia, and uh, that's where we did the military police training and and served as military police there in Georgia at Augusta, and then from there shipped off to uh, Vietnam. How long was the training, would you say? Just ballpark. Oh, I can't. Ooh. I, year, two I years, say, three want, years? Or? Oh, no, 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 no. I want to say probably uh, eight weeks. And then, like I say, I volunteered for Vietnam, and I wanted to go but when they because I had some college, and they saw that on my uh, information, and they said, well, we're going to send you to Vietnamese language school in El Paso, Texas. And I said, well, no, I want to go, you know, over there now. And I went kind of back and forth with the captain, but then he finally said, listen, this is it. You got to go, period. So that's what I did, and that was, uh, so I think that was three months of Vietnamese language school, and then I was sent over. And from that, when I got there, before getting into that V100, um, I would work with a Vietnamese consort, which is basically a, a Vietnamese police officer. And what we did, him and I, we would go into villages to gather information from the village chiefs to pass on, you know, to the command. So by the time you enlisted, you were over in Vietnam pretty quickly, is what it sounds uh, like. Yeah, probably. Let me see. Probably within maybe six months or so. Wow. What a life change. I mean, within six months, your life completely uh, well, took a different angle. Anybody that goes there. Yeah, anybody that goes. It changes you. Uh, and you get to really appreciate the United States and to appreciate uh, what the country has done for everybody. And you get to really appreciate your parents and what they've done for you growing up because, you know, when you're young, you don't really think of any of that. But when you see what was going on over there and what those people had or had not, and um, it was a good education at the same time. Puts things in perspective. So tell us tell us about returning and um, how you got involved in uh, law enforcement. Well, most of my family because I'm from the Bronx and then Long Island back in New York. <clears throat> Most of my family is on the New York City Police Department, and then others are on out in Long Island. Which Long Island's two different counties, Nassau and then Suffolk, and they're in, you know, working both, some in one of the other. And I was going to go on to the New York City Police Department, and they kind of talked me out. They said, no, no, stay out there in Colorado. Cause I was up in Greeley and I said, oh, all right, what the hell? And then I took the test and, uh, got accepted to Denver to Aurora, uh, and here and the state, <clears throat> excuse me, the state patrol. And I, the first one that took me on as far as the date was the spring. So I came down and that's how I got here. 
And what was your role um, getting involved in uh, Carter Springs Police Department? Well, I worked in uh, patrol in a police car for four years and then uh, got into the detective bureau and worked undercover vice for two years and then got into regular what's called plainclothes detective, you know, wearing a shirt, tie, and sports jacket. And uh, did just about everything, mostly uh, burglary and thefts and whatever. But then I got into the robbery unit, working nothing but armed robberies, and uh, did that for, was it eight? Boy, my mind. <laughs> eight years. I think it was eight years or more, and that's, you know, what I was, was in the detective bureau for 14, 16 years. Yeah, 14 years. And with starting in patrol, were you working nights or days, or did it vary? No, it varied. There was three shifts uh, each eight hours. So if you worked uh, in the morning, it was usually eight to four or seven to three, and then the other guys would come on from you know, three to eleven or four to midnight, and then same thing for the midnight. You would work midnight to eight or eleven to seven, and then uh, just going back to Vietnam, we worked three weeks straight without a day off, and you worked twelve hours a day, from six in the morning to six at night, or six at night to six in the morning. <clears throat> That's we rotated everything over there. And what what would you say your main takeaway, if you can give the listeners some advice, your time in the military, your time in law enforcement, what are some of the golden nuggets you've taken from your time serving? Well, again, just like I say, appreciating the country and uh, how great a country it is and uh, appreciating my parents and my family, my family members that are in law enforcement and you know some have passed away of course by this time but uh that would be the biggest thing uh for me uh just what we got here people i i don't think they appreciate it because they don't know what other people in the world uh, don't have and what's available to them like we have here um and i guess when they find out that's when they get this urge to get over here but you know the way they're doing it these days illegally is just not right at all exactly i couldn't agree with you more and we're going to have uh county commissioner lojinos gonzalez on the next segment we're going to be talking about the immigration and how it's coming on to our doorstep now here in colorado springs uh, but you're certainly right ed uh, you know the thing i tell people when they're listening to the show and they say you know what can we do to encourage i say if you find uh, somebody in uniform, retired, or law enforcement, shake their hand, tell them thank you for their service, because we are blessed, uh, especially here in Colorado Springs with some of the best law enforcement and everyday heroes who've who've shaped our country, um, and we can live this American dream, because it really is. It's quite something. Yeah, the, the people here really do have a good police department, and uh, they really should be grateful because it's run very well and uh, the guys are really dedicated and we haven't had any uh, big negative stories about the police department. Uh, and I've been here since 74. That's when I came down to come on the police department. Um, so 
Yeah, if they see so, you know, if they're out to a a restaurant, whoever, it'd be nice if they picked up, you know, a police officer's bill or a fireman, and uh, they appreciate that. They can use all the encouragement. So, um, Ed, thanks for uh, spending your morning with us. Appreciate you sharing the stories. Thank you for your service for our to our country and to our city. Um, the folks at Marigolds are going to reach out to you and set up a time for you and your wife to go up and enjoy a nice dinner. Is just a, a thank you for everything you've done. Oh, well, thank you for that. You got it, Ed. Enjoy your weekend. All right. Well, thank you. Appreciate it, Justin. You got it. Okay, folks, another hometown hero. That was a special one. Not every day we get to talk with somebody who uh, has served our country and then has served um, here in our city. So we thank Ed um, and his family for the sacrifices they've made so we can live in this great city and this great country, always uplifting, doing the hometown hero. We thank the folks at Marigolds for partnering with us on this to make it such a special Friday morning here. We're going to go into a quick commercial break. You're going to hear from ABC News, then we're going to be talking with County Commissioner Lojinos Gonzalez about the immigration issue we're experiencing here in Colorado Springs. All right, folks, thanks for sticking with us. We are back here. Um, had a great hometown hero brought to you by Marigolds, and uh, Ed was alluding into the immigration and how that's kind of hit the headlines here in uh, Colorado Springs and El Paso County, and we have the pleasure of having on uh, County Commissioner Lojinos Gonzalez with us this morning to touch on that topic. Uh, County Commissioner, how you doing? Hey, good morning, Justin. Thanks. I'm doing well. Good, good. So obviously this is big headlines, and uh, we kind of want to get your thoughts and uh, you know, kind of see how your, your plan of attack is looking at this. Sure. Uh, and so just for a little background, you know, we've, everybody's heard rumors, information, this and that on what might be happening, and we've been following for a good year the crisis down in the southwest border. Again, uh, largely because of the policies uh, and lack of enforcement uh, at the national level and under the President Biden's administration uh, that has been spilling over. Uh, and then we have several states and uh, cities who, because of their you know, public sanctuary status, have been a false beacon uh, to a lot of the illegal immigrants who have crossed our border. Uh, and have come to places like Denver. And so we, we knew there was likely going to be spillover at some point. Denver has, I believe, now had up to 40,000 uh, immigrants uh, that have moved into Denver. Some have moved on. Uh, and that spillover was likely to happen. We knew it was going to happen. And we wanted to see what we could do to, uh, uh, to, uh, you know, to address that issue and not have it become an a crisis in uh, El Paso County and Colorado Springs, as we've seen in Denver. Uh, and then a couple weeks ago, we heard some information about some buses that had come down or had come down over the course of weeks uh, and uh, had basically, uh, uh, you know, basically forced a nonprofit to uh, end up uh, uh, filling uh, and had to start turning away uh, uh, some local residents, you know, that were in dire needs and, and families. And so uh, we started looking into this uh, as something that was, you know, finally uh, starting to affect us. And we want to make sure that we put a uh, address it now before it does grow into a bigger issue uh, locally. And so the El Paso County Commissioners uh, have been leaders on trying to make sure we address this. We're telling people we are not a sanctuary area. We do not have the services to support them. Uh, and so we've been trying to do what we can. Uh, and from that information we received, again, uh, some of our local nonprofits have, uh, you know, are at capacity. Uh, and so that's going to hurt our local residents, uh, whether they're citizens or uh, legal uh, residents. 
uh, and, and that's, a, that's a negative. And now we're seeing additional information and some negatives from our UC Health partners and medical partners who have indicated this is now a, a, a problem for them and it's unsustainable uh, for their policies. I'm going to get some of those specifics later. Uh, but uh, what we're doing, we want to make sure we get as much information as we can uh, and be transparent with the public uh, and make sure that they know that we're working for our residents and our citizens to do what's right for our community. Yeah, and you bring up a good point. And being, you know, kind of really here is we're a growing city. It is uh, our resources are strapped. We already see an issue with homelessness and um, already see an issue with um, hospitals being, uh, you know, just really overwhelmed. And uh, having this sure, on right. top of that is, you know, can be a very stressful thing for those who are serving in our community. Yeah, let me expand a little bit on that medical. And so, uh, you know, after the county commissioners came forward with information and uh, concerns uh, and what we were going to try to do to help address this uh, and reiterate that we are not a sanctuary uh, county or city uh, uh, area, um, that UC Health, our partners, came out and uh, there was a, an article in one of our local uh, newspapers uh, indicating uh, statements from their senior staff. And uh, they indicated that they've seen in just the three months of November to, through January uh, a 1,200 uh, patient increase. Uh, that's a 77% increase of uh, individuals who uh, or patients who were from outside of the United States. Uh, and they've seen an, a uh, dramatic increase in non-reimbursable uh, services provided during that same time frame. Uh, and so what that translates to is, you know, costs that they will not be reimbursed for. And, uh, and, they're, and then that means that they are unable to provide potentially uh, services to others or uh, uh, be able to fund those long-term. Uh, statements in the, by the, in the press by UC Health uh, leadership indicated that uh, it was a dire situation. And I believe their uh, actual quote was, it's an unsustainable uh, at this point. Uh, and so that's the kind of stuff we're seeing at the uh, medical information. Uh, we're trying to get additional information about schools, et cetera, and, uh, and nonprofits and in terms of their ability to shelter and support because uh, the nonprofits, you know, they want to, you know, be good stewards and help everybody in need. Uh, but we want to try to get information from them as well. But the, the, the medical information right now, uh, they're saying it's unsustainable at this point. And do we have any idea on numbers, how many we're talking here? Uh, well, the from the med, total numbers, we don't know, and that's one of the issues that the El Paso County Commissioners have highlighted, uh, and I think even the mayor yesterday at his press conference uh, stated uh, he doesn't know. We don't know, and that's why we need to start uh, spending more time on this and addressing it so it does not become a crisis. Uh, one of the other aspects we uh, I mentioned was Denver. Denver is a great uh, you know example of when you do things wrong, how it hurts your community. Right now, the mayor has stated uh, in the last month or two that he will have to cut the 2024 budget by, I believe he said, 10 to 15 percent, and that translates uh, from their budget about 150 to 180 million dollars to provide the services uh, for the migrant crisis that they're having. Colorado Springs, El Paso County, we couldn't afford five or 10 percent of that. Uh, without it negatively and dramatically affecting us. I, uh, El Paso County's 2024 budget is, is strong and good, uh, even though we expect it to be uh, relatively uh, flatter than the last several years. Uh, if you remember, Colorado Springs budget, I believe, was cut uh, every department 3.4%, uh, I believe, to, uh, to cope with the uh, reduction in uh, you know, uh, revenue streams because of the flattening of the economy. 
Uh, could you imagine having to cut another 5 or 10% if that same uh, crisis that we're seeing in Denver were to uh, expand down here to the same level uh, or proportion level? Uh, we couldn't afford it. And so we want to make sure we're addressing it early uh, and, uh, and put a stop to it. Yeah, and it with, comes with it. You know, we've seen in other cities, crime, drugs. Um, these are the things that um, have happened to cities that have been allowing this to go on. Yeah, and uh, that's a good example. Uh, we don't know who's coming. Uh, we do know that some are families and some are individuals. Uh, and clearly some, you know, some if not most of these uh, people, though they perhaps have illegally crossed, uh, are not necessarily bad people, but they have illegally crossed their borders. Uh, but there are, there are going to be some bad apples there. And the, bad, the difficulty is we don't know who they are. We don't know if they've got background checks. We actually don't even know if they've done public health checks on these because we are not provided the information. Federal law, state law, uh, you know, re- restricts in most cases what you can ask anybody who's looking for support or help. Uh, clearly, if you're going to ask for uh, uh, financial services or any type of uh, county, state, or federal uh, some of those questions will have to come up. Clearly, somebody can't just uh, apply for Medicaid or, uh, you know, government uh, DHS uh, uh, support without having to provide information that validates their ability to use that uh, as a as a resident or a, a citizen. Uh, but for you know the nonprofits, they don't ask those questions, and uh, you know law enforcement, they're not allowed to ask those kind of questions anymore. Uh, you know, to the you know in, in general questions or interactions. So it makes it very difficult to know who, who are some bad apples. Uh, but we do know that a lot of these people have helped, been helped by cartels when they cross the border. Uh, so, again, we don't know what they're doing here. There's no, no little information. And so we want to make sure that our public safety and our public health is paramount for our community. Uh, and we want to make sure that we know who's in our community. Yeah, can't say it any better there. We're going to go to a quick commercial break, folks. We are talking, uh, you know, the issues going on with immigration here with County Commissioner Lajinos Gonzalez. Um, we'll be back after these messages. Okay, folks, we are back. We are talking about the influx of uh, the illegal immigration we are seeing here at our doorsteps now um, here in Colorado Springs, talking with County Commissioner Lojinos Gonzalez. And, uh, Commissioner, this is the thing we look at. How how much good can we do locally if a lot of this is coming down from the Fed and then the state, do you feel confident we can fight this battle with you know even those those things going against us? Uh, that's a great question because it makes it difficult. And again, what we're seeing in the last year are results of changes, policy changes at the uh, you know federal level uh, under the president, and then locally because of some uh, legislative uh, legislative changes. Uh, signed by the governor uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, and so what we're trying to do is work with the legislature to do some fixes. Our sheriff, and I believe a, a large contingent of sheriffs just the other day, uh, I think yesterday testified on a bill uh, to help give some of those powers back to our local communities and being able to work with ICE and immigration. Uh, so uh, uh, not to be cruel in any way, but to enforce our laws and to be able to uh, work with individuals, work with other federal agencies uh, to ensure the public safety uh, for our lo- uh, local communities. Uh, and uh, recent bills hampered our efforts to do that, uh, as well as some lawsuits uh, against uh, different uh, communities. So uh, they testified on a bill that would help, uh, that it would allow us to regain some of those authorities to uh, work with our, our federal partners uh, in doing what's right for our community. And so. We want to try to work with our legislature, try to work with the uh, governor on, uh, you know, uh, reversing some of these policies and bills that have really uh, 
handcuffed ourselves uh, locally. So uh, hopefully we can get one or two of these bills that will uh, return some of these uh, authorities to us locally uh, passed. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm not all that confident. The, the, the current the governor and, uh, you know, other leaders, loud leaders, uh, such as from the Denver and Boulder area, uh, have really hurt us in this area. But uh, we're going to continue to work uh, and work through our congressional delegation, our local congressmen, uh, to do what we can uh, to help regain some of those authorities. Yeah, and a lot of our representatives, it's like we're going to have on a Senator Lundeen um, the next Friday talking about this same issue, and um, they're yep. fighting the good fight, but... You know, sometimes they're going, there's not a lot of common sense being used by the other side. And when we're talking about, you know, crime and coming into the country legally, it's something that we, you you shouldn't have to, there should be common ground that's found easily on those topics. But it's just, it it doesn't, doesn't seem like you said, Boulder, Denver, that um, there's a lot of common sense being used. I think because they're seeing the issues related to their areas now, right? Uh, Denver uh, clearly cannot sustain having to cut, you know, cut its budget, spend hundreds of millions of dollars on this. Uh, I'm hoping they come to their senses, uh, and uh, they might. Uh, I'll give you a story from uh, last year, the last two years. Uh, if you remember, a couple of the, one of these bad policies uh, with law enforcement was uh, they uh, they cut qualified immunity, protecting our law enforcement first responders, uh, and actually. Uh, uh, spilled over to other areas for uh, 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 government employees, uh, they they took that away, uh, and a lot of our law enforcement uh, quit, and that's why you see, uh, you know, Colorado Springs and even El Paso County for a while there uh, being undermanned uh, and trying to uh, fill all our slots, uh, our, our manning requirements uh, in law enforcement and, uh, you know, in our police departments and the sheriff's departments uh, because of a bad policy like that. Uh, I ran two years ago at the national level. It was just a uh, a resolution, uh, so it had no legal standing to change anything. But at our National Association of Counties, I ran a uh, resolution saying that we are recommending to our, our state governments, our county governments, and the federal government to support uh, qualified immunity. And guess what? I got it passed by 80 or 78%, uh, and then now it's a standing resolution because uh, I got it up- approved again last year. And this was even... Uh, more liberal Democrat cities and counties uh, and their representatives who supported this because they saw how much damage it was causing their own communities. And I'm hopeful that they will see some of these bills that are being pushed by like uh, 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 Senator Lundin. Uh, these are bills that are going to make things better. And because I think they've seen the negatives as a result of their policies and their sanctuary policies, I think we have an opportunity to change one or two of those. And, I, and I'm hopeful. So uh, when you talk to uh, uh, Senator Lundin, I'm hoping he's he's maybe got the same uh, same time type of confidence, but again, uh, what we've seen in the last two years, it, it's difficult to say that we're going to change the minds of the governor and, and some of these other uh, locations. But we're going to keep working. We we got to fight the good fight. Exactly, we're blessed here. We have some of the best leadership in this city and in the county. And uh, you know, you go up to Denver, and it's it's just such a polar opposite um, when you look at some of the the policies that are going into place, just even at their city council level up there so we're thankful for um what we got going on down here <laughs> yeah and you know and again I, I still have to be uh, down at the southwest border i see the numbers are going down a little bit uh what i've heard the last two years uh, december has always been an, an increase uh so but this may be a false lull we don't know uh, but the other concern is that uh, i do know and they and denver has made this as statements and uh uh in their uh, uh press releases uh, that over the next uh, couple of weeks and months, uh, they're because of the limits in the shelters that they have uh, in place, 
that they expect up to about 4,000 uh, of these uh, migrants uh, to be forced out of their uh, Denver lodging because of the, the Denver policy on how long they can stay, and they're going to have to go somewhere. And so that's a concern to us is that we know there's going to be up to 4,000 over the next uh, couple of months that will have to leave or you know, leave lodging. They don't technically have to leave Denver, but they'll be leave, uh, moving out of the lodging there that they've been provided for free uh, or taxpayer-funded. Uh, uh, but uh, where will they go? Uh, we're concerned uh, if there's going to be spill over here from that. So we'll be seeing that. We'll be tracking tracking that. Okay, great. And we're going to get you back on in the month of March. I want, we want to talk more on this topic. We want to track it. Other things going on at the county level. Um, but we are out of time today. Uh, thank you, uh, County Commissioner Lajinas Gonzalez, for uh, spending some time with us this morning and uh, for all the work you're doing to um, you know, prevent these things from happening down the road and um, looking at it with, uh, you know, really – you know, the best approach we can possibly have when we're battling the things going on at the national level and at the state level. Well, thank you, and God bless. And again, uh, you know, just know that your county commissioners are, are doing what we can to help our community and to make decisions that are best for our community, and we're going to continue to do that and fight the good fight. Okay, thanks so much. You enjoy your weekend. God bless. All right, folks, that's another show, The Extra in the Books. you got Tom Martino joining you next.